Um, it's very fitting, uh, kind of all that we shared here, because it really ties in well with where we are in verse 12 of Philippians 1. And I want you to see Paul's world, because what we're talking about, the persecution, the pain, death, and all that, that's Paul's world. I think sometimes we, you know, we, we throw that around, oh, you know, Paul's in prison here. And we're like, yeah, that's cool. And like, it doesn't hit home, because I want you to know Paul, he was just a few years ago, the one killing Christians, the one dragging them into prison. So this is his world. He knows exactly what's happening. And when he's in prison here, he knows exactly what's at stake. So let's read, it says this, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now, um, this is uh, humbling. It's very humbling. And I, I want to just pause here. You know what he's saying here is he's saying that all my troubles in this life, if it leads to the advancement of the gospel, if it means that more people hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the crazy thing. He's saying it's worth it. That cra that, that's crazy, isn't it? Not? He's saying whatever it costs me, because he's in prison, and I want to show you a little picture of what that prison would look like. He's in what's called the Mamertine prison in, in Rome. And so he's not in that top part, he's in the bottom part. This was reserved for the worst of the enemies of Rome. And he's literally saying, for me to be here, it's advancing the gospel. And because of it, it's not only I'm enduring it, but it's beautiful and it's worth it. And later on, he's going to say, I rejoice in it. Well, why does he rejoice? And how does he know that it's advancing? Because it says in verse 13 that he has the whole imperial guard watching him. And so this is like the secret service of Rome. So I don't know if you grew up in the church, but you know, this is the picture that you get that he's like handcuffed to Paul and they switch off. And it's kind of similar, but he won't, it, they probably weren't handcuffed, but they were in close proximity where Paul can talk with them. And this is pretty much the worst prison you can be in. So the Imperial Guard, their expectation when they engage with the prisoner in that sort of situation, the expectation is, please, I'll do anything. Give me more food. Please, you know, I'll do anything. Let me just get freedom. That's the expectation, but they meet Paul. And Paul's different. Because all of a sudden now he's talking to them about what? Hey, you know this Jesus guy, man? He brought me here. And you have a special appointment with me, 24-7. Can you imagine if you're a non-Christian, how annoying that is, right? They must be talking amongst themselves. Man, I gotta go talk to Paul. <sighs> okay, here I go. And they go in and he just, he's not sad. He's not depressed. He's talking to them about Jesus and how Jesus is in control. And how he saved them. And he can save you, man. And he's like, the gospel is going out. 
Let's read on. Why else does he think the gospel is going on? If you look at verse 14, he goes on, he said, And most of the brothers, having, becoming, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So what's happening now, the church sees Paul, their leader, in the prison. And they don't see a man who is falling apart. They see a man rejoicing hopeful, even more bold, not scared. And so now the rest of the church is like, huh, that's the worst that Rome can do? I'm going to go out. This is uh, kind of like when I was in Thailand with my missions team. And so our missionary was like, you're not in Thailand until you try some fried bugs. So he got all our mission team people and then he bought us all fried bugs on a stick. Have you seen this? If you've ever been in Thailand, it's disgusting. Okay. So he had everyone line up, and I was the leader, and I didn't want to eat it. Okay. I had this big old locust on a stick. I didn't want to eat it. So, you know, I'm the leader. So I was like, hey, I pointed to the guy. I said, you, you go first. <laughs> no, I'm not going first. You go first. And he had a water bug. You know what a water bug is? It's huge. It looks like a cockroach, and it's, it's uh, I mean, I've never seen a cockroach that size in America. So he goes first. He bites into it. White stuff starts goozing out of the body cavity. And I'm like, I almost threw up in my mouth just watching him. And then, you know what he does? He eats the whole thing and he says, you know what? It tastes like chips. It's not that bad. I was like, you liar. <laughs> I was like, I didn't say that. I was like, oh, that's good. And then, do you know what it started to happen amongst the whole team? Because he took it with, you know, with no consequence, it didn't affect him that much. They started, the next girl just picked up the cricket and said, ah, and then she was like, yeah, it tastes like chips. And then on and on and on, boldness was starting to creep in. It came to me. I still didn't want to eat it. I looked at the locust and I said, ah. it's like, it doesn't taste like chips, man. But that's what's happening here. Paul's in prison and he takes that first cricket and he's like, it's not bad. Actually, this is good. This is great. And so the rest of the church is looking at him saying, huh, not so bad. And now they're boldly going. And now the gospel's going out. Well, what else is happening? The advance of the gospel is continuing. It says this in verse 15. He's going to tell you a little bit more about his troubles. Because it's not so much that he's also in prison. But if verse 15 shows you something that would really, really bother me and probably a lot of us. Which is he has envious brothers in Christ who are saying stuff behind his back. Who are envious, who don't like Paul. They don't think he deserves all the, ac the acclaim and accolades and kind of this, wow, he gets all this praise. He doesn't deserve it. So they're doing ministry, trying to destroy Paul's ministry. It's like rubbing salt in the wound. He's in prison. It's not non-Christians. It's brothers in Christ that are saying and trying to destroy his credibility. That would, that would bother you, yes? No? That would bother me. It's one thing for a non-Christian to say all sorts of stuff. But these are probably people that maybe Paul discipled. He probably walked along with them. He loved them. He prayed for them. And now, not only are they not having his back, they're doing the complete opposite. This would bug the heck out of me. It would almost maybe bring me down to my knees and complain to God and be like, God, what the heck? I'm unjustly in prison. And now all these people that are supposed to support me are what? But this is what Paul says. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, others from goodwill. 
the others from goodwill, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me. I want you to pay attention to that word. I don't want you to think Paul is a super Christian. This hurt him. This afflicted him. So I don't want you to think like he's this guy, like, like he's really the closest to Jesus. He's like the Michael Jordan of Christianity. That's not what we're talking about. This afflicted him. But he goes on. He says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. And he says, yes, and I will rejoice. Meaning future tense. If I stay in prison and this continues on, yes, I will continue to rejoice. Because if my discomfort, if my pain, if my trouble can be a platform, a springboard for more of Christ, then it's worth it. I don't just endure it, I rejoice. This really challenges me. Does this challenge you? Yeah? Okay, I know we had a long video. I know we did a Q&A. Okay? But does this challenge you? Yes? Where you're sitting, does this challenge you? Because it does for me. Because sometimes I have a pity party about, I got in a car accident. I got to pay $500 for a flat tire, which happened to me about a couple weeks ago. I was like, dang it. I was like... I can't eat lunch for the next week, <laughs> okay? And this is kind of our struggle. This is our struggle. And I'm not saying here, Paul is not trying to trivialize our problems. He's not saying, hey, hey what are you, you're so weak. He understands problems are going to hurt us. He's not trying to trivialize that, but he's trying to give us proper perspective on our troubles. That all our troubles now, whatever you're going through now, they can be opportunities to advance the gospel. They can. If we would just understand that our troubles are meant to shape us and mold us, introduce us to people that maybe we will never ever access, and to be able to share that God is enough, regardless of what we go through. Uh, I have a friend of a friend, so my pastor friend, he has a a person at their church, um, their son fell out of a second door window and landed on his head. He should have died. He didn't die. Ended up at the hospital. You might see him in some Chalk LA videos. They're like a Korean couple. They show up in one of their advertisements. And, but, that, I mean, that's, can you imagine how horrible that is? But they talk about how that has given them an opportunity to meet people that are struggling through life. They've been connecting with people that don't know God, and they can use that as a way to say, you know what? Our God is enough even in this situation. To say that, hey, whatever you go through, God can be enough. That's my encouragement this morning. I don't know what trouble you're going through. But this is consistent throughout Paul's preaching and letters to all the churches. The way he lived his life was, it's not that my problems are little and I can just handle it because I'm Superman, but there is a greater agenda that I understand, that there is a greater goal that I live for. 
And because of that, it's bigger than my self-preservation. It's bigger than any comfort that I'm living for. There's something greater I live for. And so if it means that that gets accomplished, then anything else in my life, I not only endure it, but I can rejoice in it. I want to just give you uh, just one, just for the sake of time, just one passage. If you look at 2 Corinthians 4.16, and I want you to see the consistency of Paul, because he understands this greater purpose that we live for. And I know Jeff kind of touched upon this, talking about the outer man. And I want you to kind of hold on to this this week, okay? In verse 16, it says this, we don't lose heart. Meaning whatever happens, you're not discouraged, you're not depressed, you're not losing focus, you're not losing the vitality and the strength to carry on in the way that God desires you to live. Why? Because though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction, the same word, Pain is slight, it's momentary, it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're ephemeral, they're short-lived, they will be gone anyways. I wonder so many times how many things I worry about that are just transient. And I just kill myself over thinking about it over and over because of something that's transient. Once again, not to trivialize, but he's trying to give us proper perspective. He goes on, he says, for we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We live for greater things. We live to accomplish a greater goal than just comfort. And see, we as a church, we know that. But I know sometimes life does get hard. But this morning, I want to really challenge you to say, instead of asking God why, I think you need to start asking yourself, God, how can I use this for your kingdom? Because that's how Paul lived his life, with that greater perspective. I wonder how different our lives would be if every trouble we face, we ask, how can I use this as an opportunity for your kingdom and for the advancement of the gospel? It's not easy. It's going to be revolutionary in, I think, a lot of our lives. But that is the biblical way we want to pursue the struggles and troubles in our life. And to know that God can use all of it for his kingdom. You know, Matt Redman, I don't know if you know who he is, I'll just end with this story. Um, he is a songwriter and he wrote this song called Blessed Be Your Name. Anyone know it? It's a, it's a great song. You know, and you give and take away and there's just so many things about how even though there's hardship, I can still worship you. Did you know that came, it, it was birthed out of him and his wife's experiences, how he was abused as a child how he had difficulty seeing. And all these trials and things, he talks about, he actually wrote a book about it, where he talks about how I saw in the time it was affliction, but God used it for his glory. I want to just share one quote from that book, and I'll end with this. It says this, So many of the hardest times have led to fruitfulness in our own lives, talking about him and his wife, and in the kingdom. What was meant for harm 
God meant for good, right? Talking about Genesis 50. Bringing beauty out of ashes and making us fruitful in the land of our suffering. It's now clear to see how during years of rejection and abuse early on in our lives, God drew us close to himself and turned those years around to prepare us for lives of kingdom ministry in him. That's my prayer for all of us, that we will live lives in such a way where everything that we experience, good and the bad, would be where we use it as a springboard to say, God, I want to use this for your kingdom. And may God's gospel and kingdom advance through every avenue of our lives, good and bad. Amen? Let's pray together. God, we just love you. And we thank you that you are a God that is good, that you purpose all things for the good of those that love you. And we trust that you are shaping and molding us and even teaching us even through the difficulties that we go through. Sometimes it's hard to see your hand. Give us eyes. Got to see you more clearly. To see your hand in the afflictions of life. To know that there are opportunities all around us to do your work if we could just let go of the transient things around us. Give us eyes to be focused on blessing your name. Even when you take, even when you take things away that we maybe treasure too much, even when you take those things, God, may we be people that are able to bless your name, God. We love you, and in your name we pray. Amen. Let's respond, continue our worship.